Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. A space age conspiracy. I'm Jason Horton. I'm Rebecca Lieb. And this is Ghost Town. T-minus 21 seconds, and the solid uh, rocket booster engine gimbal now underway. T-minus 15 seconds. T-minus 10, 9, 8, 7, 6. We have main engine start. 4, 3, 2, 1, and liftoff. Liftoff of the 25th Space Shuttle mission, and it has cleared the tower. So the 25th Space Shuttle mission is now on the way after more delays than NASA cares to count. This morning, it looked as though they were not going to be able to get off. Looks like a couple of the uh, solid rocket boosters uh, blew away from the side of the shuttle in an explosion. We're awaiting word. They're holding their breath just, I'm sure, as everyone else is. You saw it just a few moments ago, about 45 seconds after liftoff, a huge fireball in the sky. We have a report from the flight dynamics officer that the vehicle has exploded. Flight director confirms that. We are looking at uh, checking with the recovery forces to see uh, what can be done at this point. The space shuttle Challenger was moving upwards at twice the speed of sound when astronaut Michael Smith noticed something alarming. Looking out the window from the flight deck, Smith saw a flash of vapor, possibly fire. "Uh Uh-oh, he said. We know this because his response was caught on tape, a reaction eternally frozen in time, foreshadowing the unforgettable disaster that was to come. But the crash that millions of people watched from their living rooms wasn't the end of the Challenger's heartbreaking story. In 2015, a conspiracy would emerge, breathing new and puzzling life into a tragedy that traumatized the nation. Today, we're talking about the Challenger doppelganger conspiracy. But let's rewind back to August 27, 1984. It was then that President Ronald Reagan announced the Teacher in Space Project, a program that was essentially a marketing vehicle to keep educators and kids interested in space exploration. The presidential elections were three months away, and Reagan was bolstering his chances for a second term. Also, the administration had previously cut funding to the National Education Association, which did not put him in the good graces of America's educators. Author Kevin Cook writes in the book, 
The Burning Blue, The Untold Story of Krista McAuliffe and NASA's Challenger, quote, the president and his advisors saw a chance to promote the space program and win teachers' votes in one stroke. The Teacher in Space project would select a teacher to be a payload specialist or someone not affiliated or trained by NASA as an astronaut. Payload, in NASA speak, means person or object carried by a launch vehicle. The teacher selected would go to space and basically become a celebrity figure, both in their classroom and beyond, touting the positive of space travel and technology and Ronald Reagan. It's very 1980s. More than 40,000 applications were mailed out, and 11,000 teachers sent completed applications to NASA. Each application included a potential lesson that would be taught from space while on the space shuttle. The applications were sorted and sent to various state departments of education, who narrowed down their state applicants to a final set of two each. These 114 applicants were whittled down to 10 for NASA training. In 1985, NASA selected a space-obsessed high school social studies teacher from New Hampshire named Krista McAuliffe to be the first teacher in space. Barbara Morgan, a Stanford-educated math teacher, was her backup. Payload specialist and teacher in space Krista McAuliffe would round out the other six members of the mission, called STS-51L, the 25th Space Shuttle Flight and the 10th Flight of Challenger. The other six astronauts were Captain Francis Richard Scobie, Pilot Michael J. Smith, Mission Specialist Ronald McNair, a physicist, Mission Specialist Ellison Onizuka, an engineer, Mission Specialist Judith Resnick, an electrical and biomedical engineer, and Payload Specialist Gregory Jarvis, who was assigned to conduct research for the Hughes Aircraft Company. The Challenger was scheduled to launch in January 1986 and broadcast live on a young TV network called CNN. That left just a few months for McAuliffe to prepare for her high-profile mission, on board the Space Shuttle Challenger. It was the sixth postponement of the mission, and NASA was champing at the bit to make the launch happen. On January 28th, temperatures at the Florida launch pad fell to 22 degrees. The launch tower's railings and cameras were covered with ice. During a teleconference a few hours before the launch, the makers of the Challenger's O-rings, which are tiny, circular gaskets made of rubber that seal up the rocket boosters, were concerned that the cold would fuck with the shuttle. Little did the O-ring manufacturers know, Days before, NASA engineers Bob Ebeling and Morton Theokol also tried to stop the launch. The night before, Ebeling told his wife Darlene, it's going to blow up. But NASA's own pre-launch calculations estimated that there was a 1 in 100,000 chance of shuttle failure for any given launch, and the bad statistical reasoning reinforced NASA's impatience with the delay of the mission. One NASA manager infamously snapped, when do you want me to launch? Next April? So, despite temperatures much colder than any previous launch to date, Challenger went ahead and launched from the Kennedy Space Center at 11.38 a.m. As Challenger hit the atmosphere, the seven crew members waited, strapped into their designated seats in the crew cabin. Scobie, Smith, Onizuka, and Resnick on the upper flight deck, and McAuliffe, Jarvis, and McNair on the windowless mid-deck below. Just three seconds after the launch, Mission Control heard another voice. Pilot Michael Smith simply said, Uh-oh before all electronic communication with the space shuttle was lost. The engineers on Earth, along with thousands of viewers, including Krista McAuliffe's six- and nine-year-old children, watched and waited. About a minute later, a puff of black smoke came out of the bright rocket booster. At 66 seconds, a growing flame engulfed the fuel tank as the shuttle kept moving upwards. Data on the ground confirmed that fire came from a leak in the booster, 
but at that point, no one could do anything about it. The rocket boosters couldn't be shut down, and there was no abort option while they were firing. That flame eventually burned through the shuttle's external tank, rupturing the liquid hydrogen tank and the liquid oxygen tank. The two liquids mixed and exploded, and the rocket was blown apart. Challenger traveled upwards for another 25 seconds due to its momentum. Then, after a 72-second journey, it fell into the ocean. The module that the crew had been traveling in was found about 18 miles from the launch site in around 100 feet of water. As horrifying as the explosion and crash was, there would be details that made Challenger's crash even worse. Six months after the flight, Dr. Joseph Kerwin, director of life sciences at the Johnson Space Center, submitted his report to NASA on the cause of death of the Challenger astronauts. Kerwin said the forces at the time of the explosion were, quote, probably too low to cause death or serious injury to the crew, but were sufficient to separate the crew compartment from the rest of the ship. The letter also stated that the crew, quote, possibly but not certainly lost consciousness in the seconds following orbiter breakup due to in-flight loss of crew module pressure. But also, when NASA recovered the crew's personal egress air packs from the ocean, even more of the crew's last seconds on Earth were made clear. These packs contained an emergency supply of about five minutes of oxygen for each crew member. Three of these packs had been activated, which indicated that at least three crew members were alive and conscious long enough to do so. Judith Resnick, Mission Specialist Ellison Onizuka, and Pilot Michael J. Smith. Kerwin and other engineers investigating Challenger's downfall said that moving at a speed of 207 miles per hour, none of the crew members inside the compartment could have survived the oceanic impact. But likely, crew members had to retain some consciousness and understanding of what was happening to them before they died. But likely, crew members had retained some consciousness and understanding of what was happening to them after the explosion and before they died. Quote, the pressures there are so low that even with a supplemental breathing supply, the time of useful consciousness would vary between approximately 6 and 15 seconds, Kerwin said at a news conference. Quote, so the number of seconds that the crew may have retained consciousness would be a function of how rapidly the crew module lost pressure. When asked after the news conference if he meant that the crew probably remained conscious for at least 10 seconds, Kerwin replied, yes. The six astronauts' precise cause of death is still undetermined, and heartbreakingly, all of the crew's emergency air packs had air left when found in the ocean. Recovery efforts began March 7th and continued for a month, and while parts were identified, no intact bodies were found. During the search, Jarvis's body floated away and was not located until April 15th, several weeks after the other remains had been positively identified. President Ronald Reagan had been scheduled to give the 1986 State of the Union Address on January 28th, the evening of the Challenger disaster. He postponed, instead addressing the nation about the disaster from the Oval Office, with a special part to the many school children that were watching. He said, quote, I know it's hard to understand, but sometimes painful things like this happen. It's all part of the process of exploration and discovery. It's all part of taking a chance and expanding man's horizons. The future doesn't belong to the faint-hearted. It belongs to the brave. The Challenger crew was pulling us into the future, and we'll continue to follow them. On a positive note, following the Challenger disaster, Teacher in Space alternate Barbara Morgan assumed the duties of Teacher in Space and worked with NASA on educational research. She then trained as a mission specialist and flew on the STS-118 in August 2007, the first teacher to go into space. Because this event is so traumatic and heartbreaking, our minds wonder, how can this be possible? Is there any way that maybe it didn't happen at all? 
To me, conspiracies make sense in this way, to find bizarre hope or redemption in something so dark and tragic. I don't know much about the psychology around it, truthfully, but like conspiracies do, one emerged about the Challenger disaster almost 30 years later. We'll explore it after the break. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Hi, hello, how are you? Hello. How are you doing? Are you well? We're checking in. Mm -hmm. We want to say hello to anyone who's listening, spreading the good word, sharing the ghost town message, which is... (laughs) It's a podcast. What are you going to do? Uh, it, it exists out it's there a thing. in the world. It's a thing. Uh, and click uh, on it yeah. and learn more about it and listen to it and listen to another thing about it. And we hope you enjoyed the three-part episode on Elliot Smith, which was yeah. a, lot of, a lot of work, a lot of effort. Yeah, really it was. And it was a very interesting and enjoyable process as far as the process of making it. Yeah. The, informationally sometimes it's not pleasurable it's not fun but it's just interesting to have certain accesses and and talk about things that people still would like to talk about and 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 that's important to them yeah and the community and there's so much as we mentioned in those episodes so much discourse around it um it's such a responsibility really i think to try to make it fulfilling and make it kind of new in some ways. And also, again, just get the information that needs to be communicated around it. I'm so, yeah, so grateful that we've had such positive feedback around it. We had a higher production value for it. As, you know, you probably guess, you know, we this podcast is really a labor of love on our part. And we have jobs outside of this. And so we put uh, more love into this because we know it means so much to people. And it's still so part of where we live. It's unique for us to have certain accesses. Yeah. So when we do, uh, we really you know take advantage of the opportunity yeah. and, and not squander it. And there's also video components, which we normally don't have. Yeah. So you can check them out in our Ghost Town podcast, YouTube channel, mm-hmm. Instagram, and that we'll see what happens for next Halloween. Yeah, absolutely. I think... Uh, this yeah, this I I feel like the process was really gratifying, you know, even though it's it's a sad story, but yeah, I I think um we'll we'll see what happens. But what's happening with our government? What is happening with our government? We got to check in with our government, the government of Ghost Town. We got some mayors. Mhm. Do we have a new mayor? <gasps> you have to wait and find out. Not very long. Well, though. you wouldn't say that if we didn't. So, hmm. You know, who knows? I'm a loose cannon. <laughs> oh, shit. When it comes to announcements. Okay, okay. Mayors dressed to the nines, mm. all dressed up in their own way. 
wearing an oversized top hat. Whoa. It's 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 too big. Yeah. But you know what? It makes a statement. <laughs> it's like if you're going to wear a top hat, a normal size one? No. No. A tiny one? Get out of here. Yeah. A huge one? Intriguing. Ashley Matson. Hello. Wearing a bolo tie. Ooh, yeah. A little Southwest I action. Love it. I love it. A little, little oil magnet. Hell. Cat <laughs> Joselle. Hello. Not wearing a monocle or glasses. Wearing opera glasses. Just one opera. Oh, those tiny. Ones. I know what you're with, talking about. A little handle. Okay. Yeah. Take me a minute. But just I'm to here. see what's going on. Yeah. Peeping. In, in the in the in the kingdom in the neighborhood of Ghost yeah. Town. Stephen Bates. Hello. Fancy. Wearing mm. a little disguise, little fake mustache. Hell yeah. Fake glasses, so a wig, and then rips it off. It's like it was me the whole time. Holy shit. Dara Rosenzweig. Hello. And brand new mayor wearing just casual stuff. Just, just <laughs> well, sauntering on in. They don't need shit. No. To, they just got to be themselves. But once you're once you in the mayordom, you get accustomed mm. to finer things. But right, right now, that's right. down to earth, comfy oh. Whatever, whatever comfy stuff they're wearing, mm. no restrictions. Wow, looks good. Looks good on them, though. Yeah, Charlie Gilbert. Charlie, welcome. Welcome to the party. Keep it real, Charlie. Until you can't. Until you're wearing a giant hat. Somebody who's wearing everything perfect. Ta- one tailor, no. Mm-mm. Two tailors, no. Mm-mm. A tailor for every single stitch. So Absolutely. many, too many tailors. Uh, frankly, nobody has any access to any tailors because our governor is using every last one of them. She booked them all. She booked them every all. Every fucking one. And deserves yeah. it. Absolutely. Avian Noble. So if you want no ads, no chit chat, bonus episodes, you want to burn through stuff, you don't want to listen to any ads or us mm-hmm. yapping you want to binge baby yammering yeah no you don't <laughs> Just, want that you don't want that you, you don't want that, that. you're the full-time yammerers uh-uh, uh-uh. and then also a bonus episode from the elliot smith sessions yes check that out a full interview it's a lot of really interesting information yeah is... i mean we interviewed allison camu for yeah. episode three but we only used a very small part of it and i wish we could have used more because it's very fascinating. And yeah, she was like, oh, no. I was like, oh, you're giving us too much good stuff. Yeah. So we had to put it out. It's really, really, it's an interesting listen. That's on our Patreon, which is patreon.com slash ghost town pod. Mm-hmm. That's right. Before we get to 2015, I want to stop at 2012, where a lot of this very grim and specific information is finally released to the public about the challenger. The oxygen bags, for example, is a piece of information that was released in 2012 that was held onto by NASA for a very long time. I understand that keeping information and releasing it almost 30 years later would set a foundation for maybe mistrust, um, or maybe just the idea that there's more information out there that we just don't know. I think it's important to say that because three years later, in 2015, we get a new line of thought about this tragic event. The conspiracy around Challenger is essentially that the astronauts somehow lived, and proof of this is that their doppelgangers are alive in the world, and the age the astronauts would be now, and also with similar-sounding names. It all started when a social media user noticed that Richard Scobie, a CEO in his mid-70s, looked strikingly similar to Captain Francis Richard Scobie from Challenger. The CEO and the late astronaut do look somewhat similar, white men with high foreheads and maybe similar smiles, and of course, they have similar names, almost the same names. 
and the CEO is roughly the age the astronaut would be if he had survived the flight. And thus, a conspiracy is born. Historians, of course, were quick to note that Richard Scobie, the CEO, was also alive and well in 1986, living in Chicago. But of course, it didn't matter. The idea snowballed anyway. Then people online were looking for other doppelgangers for the perished astronauts, and they found, found in quotation marks, a loose finding, most of them? Onizuka has been living as his twin brother, according to social media accounts, whose name is Claude. McNair is living as his older brother, Carl McNair. Smith is Professor Michael J. Smith of the University of Wisconsin. Go Badgers. Resnick is Arthur Lindman, a professor of law at Yale's Law School. Then there's Sharon Krista McAuliffe, an adjunct professor with the same niche name who works at Syracuse University College of Law. Jarvis is the only person that the conspiracy theorists believe died because there's apparently no double for him. Oddly enough, he's the only one whose remains the search party had trouble finding. Of course, most people think this is bullshit. If you look past the science and obvious evidence, most of these doppelgangers have very different backgrounds and were in different locations, professional roles, and institutions both before and after their astronaut counterparts died in the disaster. But still, conspiracy theorists persist. For example, one Facebook post calls out Judith Resnick. It says, quote, I just found astronaut not Judith Resnick by searching Yale's website just moments ago. But the Judith Resnick at Yale was teaching law classes at the school and at USC in the 1970s and 80s at the same time that astronaut Judith Resnick was studying and working in electrical engineering, and eventually with NASA. By 1985, law professor Resnick was writing papers for law review journals, while astronaut Resnick was on a space flight. They clearly aren't the same person, and Scobie, McAuliffe, and Smith's doppelgangers also had lives and professions and identities before 1986. The same could be said for Anazuka and McNair's supposed doppelgangers, who were the astronauts' actual brothers, Claude Anazuka and Carl McNair. And of course, McAuliffe's lookalike doesn't really resemble the crew member at all, and was selected because they basically have the same name. Some believers say that there are no records in the Social Security Death Index for any of the seven Challenger astronauts, though journalists from the nonprofit Pointer Institute actually did find entries for at least four crew members. In any case, even if some of the crew survived the initial explosion, which is actually highly probable, they would have died upon impact with the ocean. Though, of course, conspiracy theorists have a solution for that. The astronauts weren't on the shuttle in the first place. Some people believe those who perished on the Challenger were probably paid actors, or the astronauts got on the shuttle and promptly got off before it launched. So, again, taking all of this in, for me, the question was why? Why would NASA not put astronauts on a ship, explode the ship, and then have the astronauts live anonymously-ish in the world keeping the whole thing secret? The answer is social experimentation on children. Theorists believe the U.S. government carefully orchestrated the explosion on TV to inflict a so-called collective trauma on the millions of children who watched Challenger liftoff live. Quote, tragedy increases the indoctrination and brainwashing, a YouTube commenter wrote. Of course, this is the part that, crazily enough, actually kind of makes sense to me. There was so much talk about children watching the Challenger's explosion when I was researching this episode. What the impact is on the children, how are the children doing? So much so that weeks after the disaster, newspaper headlines labeled the disaster as, quote, the first ever national trauma on children. 
I just want to emphasize, of course, that this conspiracy is really fringe. But like I said before the break, I kind of get where it is coming from. We're trying to make sense of this senseless, violent event. And conspiracies are often very healing, healing, used subjectively, perhaps ways to do that. March Luska, head of the Political Cognition Lab at the Polish Academy of Sciences Institute of Psychology, who has studied conspiracy theories extensively, tells Popular Mechanics, quote, People who say that astronauts are still alive refuse to accept that bad things accidentally happen to good people. So there's someone behind the disaster, or it simply did not happen. I was one of the people that watched it live. Whoa. It's one of the things you remember when you hear about this. You're like, yeah, I watched it live. You're very excited because you're like, oh, great. We're watching TV in school. Yeah. And it's such a cool thing. It's a big deal. And the astronauts, rockets launching into space was of interest to me. Totally. It's so cool. It's pretty intense to watch. I've known a lot of people based on my age that have watched it. And I can't speak for every single person that's watched it. But I don't think it had a long-lasting impact on children as far as – Yeah. You're speaking for yourself and probably for your peers? Yeah. A a lot of peers – this is honestly the first time I'm hearing it as far as, oh, this collective trauma that happened. I guess it also depends on the age. If you're watching it when you're seven, it might be different when you're watching it when you're 13. I also wonder how many people that are – talking about this are they talking about this because they've always thought that and now the internet has provided a place Mm -hmm. or did the internet come first then retrofitting it being like oh huh let me just look at something and let me talk about it because now i have the internet yeah i always question people's you know because there's people that are talking about that really do believe it Mm-hmm. or interested in it. And there's some people that it's like, do I believe it? It doesn't matter because I'm going to profit off it in some way. Absolutely. In some kind of traffic, equity, attention and such. And I think a lot of those people don't remember how indoctrinated we were at the same time with the space race. Mm-hmm. Russians, got to beat the Russians. Yeah. Cold War. So there is no benefit to this. I don't love Ronald Reagan, but when I was 13 years old, I did because he was like American and tough and Russia's bad. Yeah, yeah. Oh, eagles and all that. The space program is his thing. Star Wars space program. Mm-hmm. Why would he be like, I want to risk my reputation as a president. Mm-hmm. I want that to be my legacy. The space program f- failed in mm-hmm. the eyes of Russia. I want that. I want all of these things. I want all that. I want to lose voters. I want to lose the faith mm-hmm. of people that if I want to run again and I want that to ruin my legacy because of this social experiment mm-hmm. to what end? Yeah. Yeah. True. I don't know. It just doesn't, I think the people that are talking about it don't recall, maybe recall the history and they just think that, Oh, they just put rocket in space thing blow up. And probably what happened is, is they were probably antsy to do it. We can't just totally. keep checking everything. But also, it was a space race, not mm-hmm. a space stroll. Yeah. It wasn't a timed effort. And I think conspiracy theorists would probably say Ronald Reagan didn't know about it or whatever, etc. But also, when I think about what you said makes total sense to me, if, if there were a conspiracy, and you know I love a space conspiracy, like the moon landing, but the moon landing's conspiracy is around faking the landing and in it being in a studio, why wouldn't, if that's something that they wanted to do, why wouldn't they broadcast, go to CNN, 
some kind of, you know, whatever think tank is is coming up with this, whatever governmental entity is dis, is masterminding this collective trauma experience, why wouldn't they go to CNN and be like, we're going to do this in a studio? Maybe they couldn't at that point, too. I guess I'm not thinking about that. But why wouldn't they try to manufacture it without getting a rocket and like doing a whole song and dance, a, a launch, so much money and try to make it more of like a studio experience, more smaller scale. You know, it's like something where it just doesn't financially make sense, really. Do you know the way people talk about 9-11, you know, and and what an impact and where you were? People don't do that for the Challenger explosion. It's just not a thing. Where were you when the Challenger exploded? Most people are like, I wasn't uh, alive. And if I was, I didn't have the cognition to remember Mm. it. But also, I would like to talk about it in an expert sense of why it was a conspiracy. Mm-hmm. So there's this thing kind of like, hey, how do we make sense of that that huge collective trauma that happened in 1986 that we're all talking about and has impacted so many people? Mm-hmm. Let's make sense of it. It's like nobody asked. Yeah, nobody <laughs> asked. I think people just like – and again, people that probably didn't experience it, you know, like didn't watch it on TV. I'm sure people – didn't have that and can't speak to that. But I think people like, again, the idea of people being out there. I think it's comforting and it's interesting. I think people like trying to match up, trying to create. But I wonder who's really really comforted. I mean, beside family, who in 2015 is Mm -hmm. like, I haven't been the same since... I'm speaking, you know, not to say that it's a, it's an obviously a horrible thing when you think about it. It's families are affected forever mm-hmm. in the space program. But who, like these fringe people that are kind of like, I can't come to terms with that thing happening. It's affected me. And whether it's six people or thousands of people in 9 11, mm-hmm. it's, I think, born from I have the internet. And I want to take this thing and I don't care. I have no vested interest in it. I don't really care, but I want to talk about it Mm -hmm. because this is one of my purposes is talking to people about things and being heard. Yeah. It's just a thing where it's like, I was like, I don't know people that are kind of like, oh, we've never really been able to figure it out. Now, if your conspiracy was they rushed these space programs, it was so important to people because nuclear war is always Mm going to happen at all times. You want to say that they maybe rushed that and- that's why, but there's it, evidence of that because that is real. Yes. That's real. But you know? they they could just say, "Oh, that was just an error." But it's like, is it an error because it's an error? Is an error because it's like, ah, whatever. We don't just give a fuck. Yeah. we don't care. We don't care about people. That, yeah. If that's your conspiracy, I don't think it's much of a conspiracy. Mm-hmm. I'll buy that. But hey, um, we need to hire six a- actors that are uh, interested in exploding. Um, <laughs> how much does it pay? Doesn't matter how much it pays because yeah, you won't be around. Get it you're it get just it. does. It's just something that doesn't make sense, and I think it's for the benefit of people that want attention. Yeah, I, I mean, again, I think I, maybe I'm giving these theorists a little bit too much credit, mm-hmm. and also just thinking about it in an abstraction mm-hmm. as a bad thing or as mm-hmm. a thing that feels suspect and then and taking that and it is interesting like you said like they are vague with information mm-hmm. which you know yeah sure i get it like hey why is the information so vague mm-hmm. at this point now it's so many years later it's like 30 years later what why is this information so vague and that's a great point to have but it it's not it's probably more we don't think it's important or we have something to hide yeah well but why clearly. is this, why is it something to hide have to be science fiction <laughs> no that's the thing well that's then that's the part of creating this world where like these people are alive creating this world that is so outlandish that it feels like oh my god if this world exists what else what else can exist you know if this world is possible like what the fuck else maybe that my life which i i is just 
reality is hard to deal with. I need to create a fantasy. So if this is true, mm-hmm. what other things in my life that I can't explain or it's hard to explain or it's just not very exciting or what's my purpose? Anything is possible. Yeah. Agreed. Do you think we'll ever have a conspiracy theory about Ghost Town someday? There might be people out there that are saying, oh, Jason's only six foot tall and 8% body fat, when in reality, I'm six foot three and 7% body fat. NASA released the papers. NASA released the papers. NASA released the papers. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.